Well, as we begin this new year, how would you describe your outlook or mindset as you begin 2019? What's the word that you would use? What's the word that comes to mind to, to describe your mindset? Is it is a word that captures a sense of excitement or anticipation of great things that'll come in 2019? Or maybe for some of you, you're beginning the new year, maybe with a little bit more caution, maybe a little bit of anxiety of the uncertainty of the future. What would, what would be the one word that you would use to describe your outlook beginning the new year? Well, last week I shared my one word for 2019 is the word adventure. And I'm excited about what that word and what that focus will bring in 2019. There might be some challenges that come along the way. There might be some thrills. There might be some excitement. There might be some tests of faith. As a church, we're starting beginning this year by focusing on the unstoppable adventure of the early church as it's recorded in the Bible. Now, if you were here last week, we shared that you can read about the early history of the church in the book of Acts. Acts is a uh, shortened description of what some call the Acts of the Apostles. As you see those first followers of Jesus, those apostles that were leaders in the early church, and how God worked through them through His Spirit. As we talked about last week, it could even be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, this, this month at least, the book of Acts is my favorite book. And sometimes I say that from time to time, and people maybe call me out, how many favorite books do you have? Well, this month it's, it's Acts, okay? Uh, in fact, I, I love, I just love reading from the Bible. I, I, I'm inspired by God's Word, and, and I love sharing it with others. In fact, I get an opportunity every week here at Southwest to teach the preschool children here that meet from the YMCA. And this week, I, I, like I typically do, I said, hey, we're going to read from the Bible, and I'm excited about this story we're going to tell you. And, and I read it, and then we talked about it. And then at the end, I said, I'm so glad we got to share this Bible story together today, kids. And one little four-year-old looked up at me and said, I think you kind of like this book. He found me out, okay? But uh, I, I hope you'll like this book. In fact, if, if you've not yet made a resolve or a resolution to uh, read uh, the Bible and maybe have a plan to read it very intentionally this year, then what I want to urge you as you leave today, there's a table in the lobby that's got a number of reading plans. Pick one up that looks like would work for you and begin that journey, that adventure of learning from God's Word afresh this year. If, if you're more of an online person, you got the Version app, you can download to your tablet or phone, and you can find reading plans there as well. But with that said, let's dig into the book of Acts. One of the reasons why we wanted to begin this year in the book of Acts is because in the book of Acts, you get this sense of this, just this pure, simple focus of these early Christians that they just were, were so grateful for what Jesus had done for them. And they wanted to honor him with their lives. And they lived it out in community and relationships with others. And, and you see just that simple, pure, unadulterated Christianity in the book of Acts. 
That's what we want to see experienced here at Southwest. And so we thought it would be important to begin in the book of Acts. Each, each week we'll look at one important episode from the book of Acts for four weeks. We started last week. Last week we examined together the exciting beginning of the Christian church, which is recorded in Acts chapter 2. We read about the very first public sermon, okay, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the apostle Peter stood up and proclaimed who Jesus was. And the Bible says that there was a tremendous response, that 3,000 people responded to that message, turned away from their past, turned to Jesus, and were baptized. Now, I get excited about one baptism, and I get excited about watching a video of the number of people that were baptized last year, but how exhilarating must it have been to have witnessed 3,000 people being baptized in an afternoon and evening. Now, following this dramatic beginning of the Christian church recorded in Acts 2, we read in the next few chapters that the number of Christians just continued to grow and multiply. In fact, at one point, it says there's 5,000 males, okay? And the Bible uses a specific male term. So there's probably 10,000 Christians there in Jerusalem. Now, along with that growth and the excitement of it, there's also a growing number of critics there in Jerusalem. Those who began to feel like their role or their purpose in life was to stop this Christian movement. But what they're going to determine, and what one person found, is that he couldn't stop it. It was unstoppable. One of the early persecutors of the Christian church was a guy named Saul. Now, this guy was studying to be an elite Jewish rabbi in Jerusalem. And let's read when the Bible introduces us to this guy, Saul. Now, this is coming after a low point, okay, for the early Christians. If you are reading through Acts, you get to chapter 7, and you find one of the early Christian leaders, a guy named Stephen, Stephen is bold in proclaiming his faith, but there are some critics that didn't like it, so much so that he was the first Christian martyr. Now, we're told that this guy named Saul was one of the people that consented to Stephen being killed. Let's read about it in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. If you skip down to verse 3, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Now, just at first blush, what do you see in this guy, Saul? I see a guy who's probably driven to make a name for himself. And he's obsessed with stopping this movement. Now, he probably at this point, as a, as a guy training to be a Jewish rabbi and zealous for the Old Testament law, he probably believed that this, this sect of Judaism was going to destroy people's faith. And so he felt like they were off track, and he thought it was his role to stop them. But what he's going to find is that that wasn't God's plan. 
And in fact, we're going to find that in his story, we find one of the, if not the most significant conversions written in the book of Acts. In fact, I believe it's the most unlikely religious conversion in human history. So let's read chapter 9 and read about this momentous event in Christian history. And it all begins with a flash of light, which is the title of our message. Let's read beginning Acts 9 verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, as we read this description of Saul, how would you characterize him? This guy's committed, isn't he? He's committed to his cause. Now, you've heard of people so zealous for their faith that they travel to foreign countries as missionaries to, to continue to spread the faith. This guy is so zealous that he's traveling to foreign countries to stop this Christian movement. What would you call such a guy? Someone willing to even go to another country to stop that which he opposed. Maybe a vigilante, maybe a combatant, maybe a terrorist. It's safe to say that Saul is terrorizing the early church. And then with a flash of light, let's read what happens. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. I'm curious, what do you think is going through Saul's mind right now? You see, when I read these Bible stories, I try to put myself in the story. And I try to imagine, okay, if I were Saul, and I thought I was doing the right thing by stopping Christianity, and then on the road to Damascus to arrest more Christians, to put them in jail, I have this bright light experience, and I hear this voice, and I say, who are you? And this voice says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I have to think this is one of the, the biggest uh-oh, uh-oh moments in human history. Like, uh-oh, I messed up. Uh-oh, I'm on the wrong side here. You know, a number of years ago, I was leaving. Uh, that was before we had a, a church building. I had a church office off-site, and I was leaving on a Saturday night, getting the message all firmed up for the next morning, and I, and I left. It was kind of late, and I pulled out in traffic, and I thought I was pulling out that there was a, there was a lane for me, but I guess I mislooked. And I heard a screeching of tires, and I thought the guy was going to hit me, and then all of a sudden, I saw the lights come on, and in my, you know, a light from a police officer, and I thought, good, they're going to get that guy. He got me. 
He pulled me over. I pulled out right in front of this guy, and I didn't even know I'd done it. And you go, I went from, good, he's going to get that guy, to, oh, he got me. Now, that was a bright light experience that wasn't so pleasant for me. Fortunately, I played the pastor card, and I got out of a ticket. I, I'm sorry. I told him I was up late working on my sermon. I just made a mistake. It worked, okay? If you're a police officer, please forgive me. But, uh, but as we keep reading, we'll learn that Saul, he has an awe moment, but he's also blinded by the light. In verse 7, it says, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and then he opened his eyes. He could see nothing. So they led him by the hand of Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I don't know about you, but I get the feeling that God really wants Saul to get the point. Not just to have a bright light experience, but to be blinded by it and to go three days without eating or drinking. You see, we have this very self-assured, I would dare say arrogant, headstrong Jewish leader who is now so dramatically humbled that now he needs others to take him by the hand to lead him like a small child into Damascus. At this point, he's finally ready to be guided by the light. Maybe better said, he's ready to be guided by someone walking in the light. Let's read about that. Picking up in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. A disciple just means he's a follower of Jesus. This disciple, Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now, before we keep reading, let's just pause here for a moment to reflect on a couple of important observations. First of all, I think it's important for us to understand that Christianity is a taught way of life. God uses one person to teach another person of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, we talk about personal relationship with Jesus. I use that description because I am very grateful for my personal relationship with Jesus. But I think sometimes we can use that terminology to the point that we lose sight of the fact of how God uses other people in our lives. The truth is, if there was ever a story in Scripture where you would say somebody had a a come-to-Jesus moment with just Jesus, it would be Saul. And yet, even in Saul's situation, God used another believer to influence him. Now, if you're here today, and you haven't yet crossed that line of faith to call yourself a Christian, 
down deep, you know you've held back, you've, you've resisted, you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. Then maybe, just maybe, it's not a coincidence that that family member or friend invited you to, to this church. Or maybe it's not a coincidence that, that maybe God's recently brought somebody into your life that's really making a difference. Will you be receptive? Will you listen to what maybe God wants them to tell you? Now, if you're a Jesus follower, my question for you is, who was that person that influenced you? Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it was a parent who was just a godly example and instilled in you at a young age the importance of seeking God. Then I can't think of a better way to start a year than to give thanks for that person. Maybe it was a friend who took a risk and shared their faith with you, not knowing how you'd respond, but, but you did respond. Be thankful for that person. Be thankful for the person that God used to, to bring into your life. Maybe thank God, maybe reach out to them and thank them. Now, on the flip side, if you're a Jesus follower, I wanna ask you, as I ask myself, are you, am I open to God's prompting in our life to who we might need to talk to about faith? I don't know about you, but when I read that reading, I got a kick out of Ananias. Because when the Lord said, Ananias, I got somebody you want to talk, I want you to talk to, you get the feeling that Ananias thinks, I got to straighten God out here. Lord, have you heard about this guy? Surely it's not this guy you want me to go talk to. I mean, he's, he's terrorizing the church, Lord. You know, sometimes maybe the Lord's nudging us to go talk to someone that's, maybe that's a difficult talk. Are we willing to be obedient? Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. As we read this, we see that Ananias was obedient to God's prompting to go and lead Saul to Jesus. I don't know about you, I've never heard a voice where the Lord said, Roger, go talk to this person. I've never heard that voice. But I have had promptings where I'll wake up in the morning to start my day and just somebody comes to mind. And I'm thinking, that's weird. I haven't thought about that person for some time and they're just on my heart today. Or I'll be praying and somebody just comes to mind that, that I start praying for them. I think, that's weird. I haven't had a conversation with them for a while. I just think that that's the Lord prompting me. The Holy Spirit just saying, okay, this is the person I want you to talk to. Do you ever get those promptings? How do you respond? Do you make excuses? Do you say, oh, not that one, Lord. Are you like Ananias? Or are you willing, like Ananias, to eventually be obedient and go and have that conversation? 
Talk to them about your faith. Talk to them about the hope that you have in Jesus. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's a neighbor. But just to take that risk and say, listen, I want to talk to you about what's real important to me. Now, sometimes we, we hold back from having those conversations of faith because we think, well, what if, they, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Well, let me tell you something. There's a lot of questions out there. You're never going to have the answers to. I don't have the answers to. But that's, that's not what God calls us to. He just calls us to share. In fact, listen to how the apostle Peter put it in 1 Peter three fifteen. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If you have a hope of eternity, if you have a hope of spending forever with God and a hope that, that in life God's with you, then that's a hope that people around you desperately need to hear. Will you be willing to be a part of God's plan to share that hope with Jesus, a hope in Jesus with someone else? As we keep reading, we, we see that Ananias was obedient, and Saul is changed by the light. He's, he's changed by Jesus. Let's, let's keep reading in Acts 9, beginning in verse 17. It says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. What an amazing turn of events. What a powerful conversion. The man who had been persecuting Jesus and his church is now proclaiming that Jesus is the way to others. Just like Ananias was obedient to tell the good news to Saul, Saul likewise was obedient to what he was taught. Last week we looked at, at how that in that first gospel message it was taught. And here's the response to the gospel. In Acts 2, verse 38, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Saul of Tarsus, we see not only an obedience to the teaching of baptism, which I'm convinced in the original language meant immersion, but he was obedient to the teaching of repentance. I think there's a lot of confusion on this word. Some people think that it just means simply saying you're sorry. But you see, repentance means have a change of mind, a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. Think about Saul's story. He's originally going into Damascus to arrest Jesus' followers. And yet on the road to Damascus, he has this bright light experience. He has a change of heart. He has repentance. Now we find him being led into Damascus to learn about how to become a follower of Jesus. He goes to Damascus to, to persecute and prosecute Jesus and his followers, and he leaves Damascus with a mission to proclaim Jesus to others. Now that's repentance. That's a 180-degree turn. 
he's gone from being a persecutor to proclaimer. We just read the most unlikely, and yet I believe the most powerful Christian conversion recorded in the Bible. In fact, some think next to the resurrection, the conversion of Saul is the most significant event recorded in the book of Acts. In fact, it's recorded not once, but three times. We read the story where Saul is has this, this conversion experience, but he retells the story two other times in his testimony. It's emphasized in the book of Acts as truly a turning point in this history of this unstoppable movement. When Saul of Tarsus, who would later take another name, a name that we know as Paul, and would become the Apostle Paul, the one that would plant churches all over the world, the one that wrote a good portion of the New Testament. One author and commentator, a guy named N.T. Wright, wrote this about Paul's conversion. He says, if the death and resurrection of Jesus is the hinge on which the great door of history swung open at last, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus was the moment when all the ancient promises of God gathered themselves up, rolled themselves into a ball, and came hurtling through the open door and out into the wide world beyond. Some say one of the most convincing arguments for the resurrection of Jesus is Saul's conversion. Because it would have taken a personal visit from the resurrected Jesus to convince this persecutor of the early church to become one of Jesus' followers. Now later, Paul would describe the significance of this faith response by turning from his old life of repent, and to repentance and being baptized. He would share what Ananias told him right before he was baptized. In Paul's testimony in Acts 22, this is what he said Ananias told him. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. How have you responded to Jesus? Have you responded to this call from God to turn from an old life, to turn in repentance and be obedient in baptism, to be washed, to be forgiven, so that you too can be changed by Jesus and live a new life? If not, then we want to urge you, we want to invite you, we want to challenge you. As we begin this new year, why not make 2019 the year that you finally pull out all the stops, surrender your life to Jesus, and be obedient? and be baptized. We, we have water ready every weekend for anyone that's ready to make that decision. I had three people after first hour say they're, they're gonna get back to me. Maybe here you too are ready to respond. Maybe even today. Now, if you responded in faith as Saul, Paul did in the past, then realize that Jesus not only instituted this one-time faith act of baptism to initially be united with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but Jesus also instituted this other faith act to be repeated over and over and over again. And that's the act of receiving and participating in communion. Because you see, it's in communion 
that we are reminded of why Saul's sins could be washed away, why any of our sins could be washed away. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. In just a moment, some volunteers are going to be passing some trays. In one tray, there'll be pieces of bread. and another tray, there'll be cups of juice. We want to invite you, if you've made this decision to surrender to Jesus, to view this time as a time in communion, to be renewed, to be rekindled in maybe that that initial decision you made to follow Jesus, maybe many years ago, or maybe for some just last year, and to be renewed in that resolve of why you're following him, because he died for you, he died for me. And to resolve as we go into a new week, as we go into a new year, that you're going to live your life in such a way to proclaim him, not just with your lips, but with your life. Let's have that kind of resolve. Let's have that kind of reflection as we observe a time of communion, remembering the one who died so that our sins could be washed away. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you so much for your plan of sending your son to this earth. And we thank you for these great stories of faith we can read where Saul, who became Paul, the apostle, was truly brought to Jesus. Help us during this time of communion just to reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Maybe for some it's a, it's a time, Lord, that you'll just put on their heart to pull out the bulletin and check the box. They want to be baptized. Maybe for others that have made that decision in the past, It's a time to recommit ourselves to the one who had his body broken for us and the one who shed his blood so we could be forgiven and right with you. Help us really have a time with Jesus right now. It's in his name we pray. Amen.